Crown of Thorns by Iris Bluefick. Chapter 14 Riptide Aziraphale took care of the booking discreetly, careful not to leave any ticket receipt print-offs lying around the study. There was no guarantee that Crowley wouldn't hack into his email account and find them anyway, but one did one's best. They hadn't travelled by boat in quite some time, so perhaps Crowley wouldn't even register a subject line containing Brittany Ferries as anything more than a droll travel spam. Telling when you found that you needed a holiday after your holiday. It's not to say that the Cape Cod jaunt back in June hadn't been relaxing. Far from it, in spite of those few tense moments, which Aziraphale found he could put out of his mind without too much effort. It was more for Crowley's sake than anything, a little bit of time away from Pippa and Anathema and all the rest, just the two of them. It wasn't until several days after the trip was bought and paid for, when Aziraphale double-checked the ferry and hotel bookings just to make sure he could forewarn Crowley about the drive to Plymouth for purposes of catching said ferry, that he noticed the dates, 23rd to the 30th of September, 2012, which he'd chosen for the reasonable return fare more than anything else. There was nothing wrong with off-season. A sojourn to Mont St. Michael, with Michaelmas smack in the middle of it, came off even worse than the outing to that festival with allusions to demon burning and Raphael's province town room assignments combined. Aziraphale held out some hope that the 29th of September had never been over firmly planted on Crowley's temporal radar. Considering the past thousand years' iconography, he ought not to hold out too much. The drive, coupled with the prospect of an overnight sea voyage, had made Crowley somewhat cranky, but now, at the Britannia's bar, with six glasses of a passable Rhone Valet rosé down him, everything looked considerably more promising. This place, said Crowley, unfussed at how far down the bridge of his nose his sunglasses had managed to slide. Tell me about it. Don't think I've ever been there. Not since it got civilization, you understand. Very, very dull without cheese. Aziraphale steadied him on his stool, his arm firmly about Crowley's waist. Well, you see, we'll be passing through more than one uh, town on the way. St. Mallow. Speck on the map where this thing lands. Who the hell was he? Aziraphale shushed him with a brief kiss, pressing his thumb to Crowley's lower lip. No one of very great import, my dear, he said, not with a name like Malo. Crowley bit down softly, understanding, and positioned his tongue more carefully. This place we're going, then. It's just another seaside dive with bugger all to do. We're not staying in St. Malo. We transfer from there to Mont Saint-Michel. Crowley tottered in his seat, no small thanks to the fit of laughter that seized him. 
No, I was in Navranche, he said. Poor Aubert never knew what hit him. Aziraphale looked away and took a judicious sip of his fourth glass. I wouldn't know, he said. The bishop and I never did get on. Later, tangled up warm and naked and slightly worse for wear in their surprisingly comfortable cabin, on that at least Aziraphale had splurged a little, Crowley gave him a hazy look from the edge of sleep, suggesting he'd remembered something. It wasn't at all difficult to make him forget, at least for the time being. Crowley stared forlornly at the rusty signpost and the empty bus shelter. The first one's not until 9.45, he said, yawning. This schedule sucks. There were ones far fewer, I'm told, said Aziraphale. No matter. We'll hire a cab. Crowley blinked in sleepy disbelief. It was 6.30 in the morning. That's... Let me see. Seventy or eighty euros. I'm not springing for that. Of course you're not, said Aziraphale, already waving at the nearest lazily smoking taxi driver. He had to wrestle Crowley's shoulder bag off him and bundle the poor dear into the back seat, protests and all. It was high time he let the money anxiety go. The driver wasn't miffed by their Englishness or by the prospect of an hour-long drive. Will wonders never cease, Aziraphale thought, and got in the back beside Crowley. Of course, the fact that they both spoke flawless Breton probably helped. For the majority of the ride, Crowley dozed with his cheek mashed up against the window while Aziraphale chatted with the driver. Lovely chap, really. He had children and grandchildren in the area. It would have been rude to refuse his offer of a cigarette. Aziraphale watched the daylight break over the ocean, which was visible at a distance. My dear, he murmured, shaking Crowley's arm, look. The demon grunted and peeled himself off the window. He removed his sunglasses and rubbed the bridge of his nose where they'd dug in. Aziraphale scooted up behind him, tilting his head, as the sight he was interested in now certainly wasn't outside. Crowley's pupils reflected sunrise and the Mont's dark, flame-ringed silhouette. At least once in every meticulously planned trip, something tended to go awry. Their hotel room at an establishment on the Mont itself, not being available due to pipe flooding, counted as just such a mishap. Aziraphale listened patiently while the concierge made effusive apologies, French, not Breton, that were an affront to her pride. Meanwhile, Crowley wandered around the quaint, cramped lobby and peered at the seashells and other maritime memorabilia adorning every wall and fixture. Not here, love, Aziraphale thought. So many lives lost to the perilous tide over time. We would find so many of them. Shoes and buttons, pilgrim batches and teeth. 
you would mourn the loss of every single one down to the last drowned soul. Crowley straightened, turned, and fixed him with a determined glare. You know there are still tours that cross the flooded sands out there, tourist attractions since time out of mind. I'll brave the whirlpools without you if I have to, Angel. You're so stubborn, said Aziraphale sharply, and turned back to the concierge. Check for cancellations, Crowley said, sidling up behind him. He didn't mean you. The woman's expression went from irate to neutral. She flipped pages in the register. You may be correct, she replied cautiously, tapping a scribbled-out block. Aziraphale instantly recognised the scrawl, even though it didn't say anything. It's smaller than the room we've booked you into first, but it's got a sea view. Very good, Aziraphale sighed. Trickery and deception, just like the old days. Crowley took the key and raced ahead, leaving him to sort the luggage. They strolled idly beneath the cloister. Aziraphale admired the columns while Crowley admired the hedges. It had been a marvel of modern architecture in its day, this lonely rooftop garden, and it had stood up to the centuries admirably. Clipped within an inch of their lives. I'll give those nuns credit where it's due. They run a tight ship. Those roses look a bit anemic, though, don't you think? Aziraphale set one hand against a patch of worn masonry and closed his eyes. That's the colour nature intended, at a guess he said. The column hummed with solitude, resigned to supporting the weight of forgetting. Opening his eyes once more, Aziraphale let his hand drop back to his side. Crowley had breached the hedge barrier and was crouching next to the rose bush. Your wild North American cousins put you to shame, you know, he told it. Crowley, for goodness sake, get out of there! Aziraphale pleaded. I could use a proper telling off, he said. They're good at that too, nuns. I don't want to make a scene, but you're leaving me very little choice. There's no one else here, Angel, said Crowley, rising. Come on, he said, offering Aziraphale his fist. Step out of those shadows, won't you? It's much warmer here in the sun. He opened his outstretched hand, let go a shower of pale petals. You've been difficult ever since the hotel this morning, Aziraphale said, standing his ground. I don't understand it. You've no reason to be on your guard, my dear. Crowley removed his sunglasses and stared up at the cloudless sky, brow furrowed. All of that business with you and Aubert not getting on, he ventured. Remind me, what was it? No luck egging him into an early crusade? A divine property dispute over this island, when it was nothing more than a miserable chunk of rock? Aziraphale managed to snag his sleeve and yank him back through the hedge. He was on to you, he told Crowley in a low voice. I suspected that he knew... Clerics sometimes do, said Crowley, brushing dry shrub leaves off his trousers. 
and if he'd gone after you with holy water, a sanctified weapon of some sort. Crowley paused in the act of withdrawing his sunglasses from his pocket and fixed Aziraphale with a strange, disquieted look. Objects and substances that could harm either one of them were few and far between, but they did, in fact, exist. He took a shaky, smiling breath and said, I never thought... No, you wouldn't have, said Aziraphale. So trusting, my dear. Crowley's smile faded. He replaced the sunglasses, shoving both hands in his pockets. You mentioned model ships suspended in the chapel, Crowley said. Sounds neat. Aziraphale followed him out of the cloister, releasing the breath he'd been holding. Let it not be said that keeping him out of harm's way had ever been easy. Those, said Crowley, are tacky beyond belief. How do you manage it? How? Aziraphale wistfully admired the brightly painted boulder chocolat. They'd hold so much more than those mugs Pippa gave us for Christmas. Pathetic handles, Crowley said, dubiously picking one up. Not very ergonomic. The point is that they're traditional said Aziraphale, lifting another. And pretty. Crowley gave him a long-suffering look and placed the bowl he'd selected in Aziraphale's free hand. He folded his arms and stood there, glancing from one to the other, as if searching out imperfections. Intensely familiar, this search-and-destroy methodology. No flaws permitted in the paint, no unseen chips along the rims. Fine, they're on your head. Crowley said, taking Aziraphale by the elbow. Tills this way. They bought four, as it wouldn't have done to forget Pippa and Harold. Once they deposited their parcels back at the hotel, Crowley suggested a stroll along the parapets, as the tide would soon be coming in and the weather was clear. The wind was brisk out on the walls, and it bit tenaciously at their clothes and skin. Crowley stood staring down at an impressive vortex of dazzling, foam-flecked waves. You were protecting me, he said, not looking up from his meditation. Why? Aziraphale leaned close to him and considered the death trap below. It seemed like the thing to do, he said, measuring his words carefully. At the time. In 708 said Crowley, when the Franks had scarcely worked out how to use forks, and well before our little understanding of some three hundred years later. Three hundred and twelve, Aziraphale corrected him. And not to put too fine a point on it, yes, even then, it seemed like the way forward. I can't expect you to understand what must have possessed me, what when I don't even understand... Crowley turned from the stunning scene below and tilted his head, an unspoken question. But you understand now, I take it. We understand now, I mean. Aziraphale reached for him, reached for anything, and caught Crowley's lapels. Once upon a time, he thought, a man had a vision about this very spot. 
Crowley smirked. It was a bit further up, I think. No matter. A man had a vision detailing what he was to do with this chunk of rock, as you put it yesterday. An oratory in a high and desolate place, a beacon that would become Geoffrey of Monmouth's fire on the hill. You know his narrative about the giant, I take it? This place has seen no end of carnage, both real and imagined. What's your point, Angel? Do you know the man, my dear? Do you know the story? Crowley shifted where he stood and then stepped closer. The toes of their shoes touched. Aubert was delusional. The Archangel Michael told me, blah, blah, blah. And oh, what do you think about this nice, impossible construction project? Would you like to help me oversee it? Might be of some interest to you, Crowley. Pour us some more wine. Aziraphale felt the stab of panic in his chest, as if Crowley's original relay of this information had happened the day before, not in the year 708 Anno Domini, when the world was still clawing its way out of newborn chaos. I remember. When you told me he'd offered you a drop on site, what happened then? Crowley frowned and looked at their feet, forehead bumping Aziraphale's nose. You suggested it was a fine time for me to get out of Dodge, perhaps go and cause some mischief for the actual Northmen, see what they had going by way of saints. You did quite well with Lucia, dear boy. So striking, those wreaths of candles. There's something you're not telling me. The man is Aubert, and the story... It's emblazoned on stained glass windows from here to the Holy Land, carved in every cathedral, drawn in every manuscript, margin and miniature, forever and ever. Amen. Michael and the dragon, Crowley said, or the serpent, if you like, never happened. And we know this because... I'm still here said Crowley impatiently. I told you it never happened. So why... Orbert had his second vision after you left, Aziraphale replied gently. Crowley's eyes were on fire, and this time the sun wasn't even to blame. You gave him that bloody stupid vision in order to save my life. Skin, something like that. But it still doesn't account for the first one. His reason for wanting to build... In spite of the fact Aziraphale's hands were still fisted in Crowley's coat, it was Crowley who drew Aziraphale forward instead. They stood locked like that for a minute at least, with the tide whispering fervently up with each fresh gust. The first one was Michael. The second one, well, that was my doing, I'm afraid. <laughs> you got me out of the picture, but the picture stayed anyway. Crowley's thoughts were a hysterical psychic giggle, but underneath them there was genuine terror, too, at realising he hadn't known how close he'd brushed with an untimely, unpleasant end. Aziraphale tilted his chin up and kissed him, brief and longing, an apology past due. Crowley drew back, smiling, actually smiling, and then pressed close again, all pliant lips and clever tongue. Never easy to shield him, no, 
that Aziraphale knew. But he was worth every shred of effort under heaven, fierce as the tide, and as true. Crown of Thorns will continue in Chapter 15. <laughs>